Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Good Shepherd, whether you are live streaming or whether you are live. I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. Always, always glad to be able to connect back with you as you engage with what is happening at Good Shepherd. We've been in this series dealing with difficult people. It's a long series. I don't know why. Maybe we got a lot of difficult people to deal with. Today's message, the fifth message in the series is called When You're the Difficulty. And if you, yeah, and if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to find in the Bible the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and following. Maybe your Bible looks like mine, or maybe it's located on your phone and it loaded on your phone. Either way is fine. And if, if you, didn't, you didn't bring a Bible and it's not on your phone and you're wondering if everything's okay, yeah, the words will be up on the screen as they always are at just the right time. And when we get together at Good Shepherd and when we talk about the Bible, we found it tremendously helpful to remind ourselves what we believe about the Bible some of you have heard this stuff a lot, and for others, it'll be brand new, and that's kind of why it's worth repeating. And one of the things that we believe about Scripture at this church is that this that I'm holding in my hand is not a book. The Bible's not the good book. It's the great library. It's a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time and in multiple, multiple writing styles. And when we're in 1 Corinthians... We're actually in the correspondence section of the biblical library. We're looking at a letter written to a church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. The letter was not written to you, but it was preserved for you. And that's just a fact that a lot of people do not know, but it really helps us understand the Bible better. The second thing that we remind ourselves moves into that realm of conviction that you may or may not share, and we just find it helpful to be clear about what we believe in leadership here. And it's this, that we believe there's no other library like it on planet Earth. We believe that God breathed his life into its words and he put his truth onto its pages. We believe here that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, a conviction we know you may not share yet, okay? But out of that conviction, we have a custom. And when we talk about the Bible at this church, we lift it up. And, and again, if you're, if you're new and there's phones in the air and Bibles in the air, and you're just like, whoa, this is unusual, we admit it. It is unusual. It is different. But we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. Because we know who does, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? And so before I say anything else, let's pray. God, thank you for the goodness of your word. And, and Father, I thank you for these ongoing reminders that you give to me that I really am powerless without you. But thank you, Lord, that because of you, I'm never helpless. So fill me now with everything that's good and right and joyful and worthy of celebration about the Holy Spirit of God. And don't do that only in me. Do that for all who are within the sound of my voice. I pray these things in the name of Jesus who is risen and reigning and returning. Amen. So we have been in this series dealing with difficult people over the last several weeks, all the weeks since Easter, and I'm not going to lie, it's been fun. 
It, it has been fun to design the messages. It has been fun to deliver the messages. It's been fun to follow that little sermon bumper every week. It's been fun to engage with you about the messages. It has been fun, fun, fun. Tell her daddy took the T-bird away, as the Beach Boys said so long ago. This has been a fun series. But in the middle of all that fun, in the middle of all that levity, there is actually a danger lurking just beneath the surface of this series. And the danger that I'm talking about is actually embedded in the title of the series, Dealing with Difficult People. And with that title, you and, and I, we suddenly think of all the people that we have to deal with who are so difficult. All those people on the other side of me who are so hard to deal with. I mean, we got temper losers and we got long talkers and we got bad breathers and we got impossible to pleasers. I mean, just everywhere you look, we have difficult people that we have to deal with. And we can get so wrapped up in thinking about all those difficult people in our lives that, hello, we forget the difficult person we are. We're so quick to look at all the difficult people on the other side of us that we fail to acknowledge the very difficult person that we see when we look in the mirror. And you know when this came home to me kind of vividly in, in, in my own life is when my adult children, uh, who both of whom are married, when they brought home their spouses, their potential spouses, we've got a 33-year-old daughter and a 30-year-old son, and over the last seven or eight years, they've both gotten married. And, you know, as part of the process of getting married, you bring your, your almost fiancé and then your fiancé home, and when they brought these people, these invaders into our house home, and... <laughs> Did I just say that? I hope to God they're not watching on live stream. When they brought these people, <laughs> let's just close. Okay, we're done. When, no, when they, when they brought the, these people home, I, I came to find out that neither my son's fiance nor my daughter's fiance when that time, they didn't know how to take me. They, they didn't. I mean, I just called them invaders. I can't imagine. <laughs> they, they, did, they didn't get my inside jokes. They didn't speak my fluent sarcasm. They, they didn't understand my preoccupation with appearance and, and reputation. And so, all, you know, the first time it happened, I was like, well, that's, that's her problem. And then the, the second time it happened, I was like, oh, who is the common denominator here? And it was obviously, obviously me. And so I, I began to realize, ah, it's not that these people on the other side of me are so difficult, is that I, it is that I am the difficulty. And, and, and I think this, this is just especially important to talk about on a, on a day like Mother's Day. Because y'all remember, don't you? You remember the sweet prayer that your mom prayed over you when you were little? Some of you, she's praying that prayer over you now. You remember, you remember that prayer? It was so sweet and so godly because it would happen when you would do something that you shouldn't ought to done and mom leans over you and says, God help you if you ever do that again. 
on the other hand, it's an it's important topic to talk about on, on Mother's Day of all days, because I, I, I do know that Mother's Day is sweet, but Mother's Day is also bittersweet, because I suspect that there are some moms within the sound of my voice, and, and you're having a very difficult relationship with that child, and the child could be young or adolescent, or could be an adult child, and I imagine there are some adult children within the sound of my voice, and you have that difficult, maybe even that estranged relationship with mom. And the great temptation is to think that the estrangement is all the other person's responsibility, that if you can just get him straightened out, or if you could just get her figured out and put all those pieces together, then things would be relationally where they need to be. And so you and I, we come to church on a day like Mother's Day, and we think we're going to have help for dealing with all those difficult people in our lives, and instead I've sort of turned the tables on you, and we are looking at the difficulty within. And so today is really a reality check. It's really a time for you and for me to to take what our recovery friends call a searching and a fearless moral inventory. To ask the hard questions of ourselves to see how it is that that we are the difficulty in the relationship and, and how it is that we can stop pointing our finger at other people for all the things that they have done to make us victims and that we can see how we actually have been the villains. And we can see also how it is that, that we're common denominators in these series of relationships that are so difficult. And so, yeah, my, my, my prayer is that, that, that by taking this searching and fearless moral inventory and by having rigorous honesty, because if, if, if you don't have rigorous honesty, if you're not self-aware enough to ask and then discover how you're the difficulty, you know what will happen at the end of your days. You will be a person who doesn't have any relationships left because you never got around to seeing and asking, how am I the difficulty? And at the end of your days, you'll think kind of all the ways that you're the victim of all of these circumstances when actually you're the villain in them. And to do that, to be, to be rigorously honest with ourselves and, and even with one another, we're, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that you may have heard read at a wedding or that you may have seen on a Hallmark card, even though the love of which this particular passage speaks has very little to do with romantic infatuation or even Hallmark card kind of language. Instead, the love of of which this passage speaks that we're going to look at in just a moment is the kind of love, the kind of love that you need when you are in a church body that is filled with a lot of people and filled with some strong egos and filled with some definite kind of opinions. That's the kind of church that they had going on in Corinth that Paul, pastor, missionary, author, writes to. And that's the kind of church that, that's a, those are the kind of words that describe a lot of churches in Charlotte. So these words while they were not written to us, they were preserved for us. And we are, we'll discover they're not only timeless, they are timely. Because look how Paul starts as he writes to this church that's just full of all kind of relational difficulties, filled with all kind of difficult people. Look at what he says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. 
It does not boast. It is not proud. Don't you love that? All those things that love, love is patient and love is kind. And if you find someone like that and you're able to marry them, or you find someone like that and you're able to work with them, or you find someone like and they're, they're a friend, or you, you find a church full of people like that who are patient and who are kind and who willingly slide over to give you the aisle seat. <laughs> you find people like that, hang on to them. The, the, those are people who not only pour out love, but those are the kind of people who will receive your love. And, and after giving us that positive spin on love is, Paul himself turns the table in verse five and shows us what love ain't. Look at verse five, isn't, sorry, what he says in verse five, it, meaning love, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Not, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, and look in particular at that third one, it is not, love is not easily angered. Also translated, it's all written originally, you may not know this, originally written in Greek and, and different people translate different words into the English. It's, it's, it's also translated as love is not irritable. And, and another, my favorite translation, love is not easily offended. So it's not easily angered. It doesn't always wake up on the wrong side of bed. Irritable and love, my, my favorite, it is not easily offended. And, and I love those words so much about all the things that love is not because it seems to capture, good shepherd, it seems to capture the gap between the apologies you demand and the apologies you supply. That someone will be a, a difficult person. That These words about love, love is not easily angered. Love, love is easily, love is not easily offended. And, and really what Paul is saying is that difficult people, people who are the difficulty, they're the ones who always demand apologies, rarely supply apologies. Verse four kind of people, love is patient, love is kind. I mean, they apologize easily, frequently, not pitifully. They, they don't apologize for things they've never done. I don't want you to do that either. But they, they are frequent. They, are, they have that ability to own their own stuff when it comes to relationships. Difficult people, by, by contrast, don't have the wherewithal or the self-awareness to do any of that. That they demand far more apologies than they ever supply. And, and just kind of makes me realize if if. if if you wake up in the morning looking for ways to be offended, you will never be disappointed. <laughs> you, you, if you wake up in the morning, well, who's going to make me mad today? And who is going to offend me today? And how can I be upset today? At the end of your days, you will have mission accomplished. You'll be miserable and so will everyone else around you but you will have accomplished your mission. And in contrast, Paul has a different way and a better way. 
And so here's what it all leads to. If you want to know, well, how do I know if I am the difficulty in the relationship? How can, how can I not only be aware of it, but how can I have the power and the ability to change? Here it is. You're the difficult person. You're the difficulty when you're easily offended and rarely ashamed. If you're one of those people and you are easily offended and very rarely ashamed. Your, your demand for apologies far exceeds your supply of them. Rest assured that you will be the difficult person in any relationship. It's a moment of rigorous honesty. I'm asking you to do a searching and fearless moral inventory of you. And are you one of those who's easily offended and rarely ashamed? So was so perfect. I mean, at the timing was absolutely perfect. The day that I was working on this message, I mean, and I, and I work on these messages uh, uh, ahead of time. So this is like a couple of years ago, but the day, it was a few weeks ago, not a couple of years, but it was a few weeks ago. And the, the day that I was working on this message and I was like, okay, that's what I'm gonna be talking to these people about, about being easily offended and rarely ashamed. And that's how they're the difficulty. A, a, a guy that I know only online, you may have relationships like this. I, I know him only on social media. He put up a post that said this. Here's was his post. I'm feeling very grumpy today, just irritable. I got out of bed a curmudgeon this morning. I need the joy of the Lord, but I can't find it right now. Well, good morning to you too, but it <laughs> turned tur- turns out that was the that was the least surprising post of 2023 because I've, I've known the guy online for years and years and that's sort of the online persona that he develops looking for people to be mad at demanding apologies never offering them and so of course he got out of bed as a curmudgeon whether you have an online persona or not is that you or are you one of those and you wake up in a bad mood and you're like, well, I got this bad mood. I, I might as well use it. <laughs> I have this temper. I might as well lose it. Is, is, is that you? You will be the difficult person if you are easily offended and rarely ashamed or to make it super practical and super local. Those of you in, in the room Today, if you're live streaming and you don't know what it's like to live or drive around Good Shepherd, this might not make complete sense, but those of you in the room and if you live anywhere near Good Shepherd and you drive in this area, I just really have to say two words. You know what I'm talking about. Carowinds Boulevard. (laughs) And you're heading on Carowinds Boulevard and you want to go north on 77 to where all the cool people are. And that's where the football stadium, the basketball and baseball. And so, and, and then you're driving on Carowinds Boulevard and the lanes inexplicably and inconveniently go from three to two. And what happens every time while you're driving on Carowinds Boulevard, you will see cars with out of state license plates like Ohio or New York and And they don't know how the road works. And so they always get caught heading south to Columbia, to the heart of the Confederacy. (laughs) 
And what they're wanting to do is they got to get back in the line so they can go north on 77 and back to Yankeeville from which they came. And, and, and they, try to, they, try to get in, they try to get in your lane, inconvenience you. And what is your temptation? You want to give them a full piece of your mind and half the peace sign, don't you? And, <laughs> and, and, and you're like, you're like an idiot. Don't you know what you're doing? And, and actually... They don't. They ain't from around here. They're not steel creakers or Fort Millionaires or, <laughs> or Rock Hellions or any of they're, they're, they're not any of that stuff. And when you lose, when, when you lose your temper, when, when you don't let, hey, tomorrow when you're commuting to work, let them in. Don't get offended. At people who don't know any better. Let them in and you won't be the difficult person in the relationship. You're the difficulty when you're easily offended and rarely ashamed. And really, this makes me want to ask you, have you ask yourself three very relevant questions. And, and these, are, these are serious questions. And so I want you to, we're going to throw them up on the screen and, and I want you to write them down because they're really valuable, I think. Or they were valuable at nine and I think they'll be valuable to you. Ask yourself first, do, do I take personally things that are not personal? Do I take personally things that aren't personal? Man, this is so me every once in a while i'll be like oh why aren't they thinking about me and why aren't i being asked to do that and why am i being ignored over here and i mean i do this with some frequency and you know what god has started doing that that when i am the the guest of honor at a pity party that i am throwing for myself you know what you know what god has has started doing he's he started saying talbot these people aren't even thinking about you at all you're not that big a deal. They are, they are not thinking about you to even get around to insult you. And maybe it's the same with you. Maybe you have a habit of taking personally things that are not remotely personal. Second, do I expect mind reading to substitute for plain speaking? This is especially vital for those of you who are married or those of you who are thinking about being married, maybe even those of you who were married. But do you expect your mate to, to be able to decipher and read all the, <sighs> all the sighs and all the eye rolls and all the facial expressions? And you use that as a crutch against having the honesty and having the courage to look your mate in the eye and say, I need more of this in our relationship. I need less of this in our marriage. Because you, you can't have a beautiful marriage. And at this church, we are all about the beautiful marriage movement for people who are married now, for people who are single now, so you can have the, the relational capacity to have a beautiful marriage when that happens. It's what this church is all about. And you can't have any of that unless you have the courage to look your mate, your potential mate, and say, I need more, I need less. 
this, this again is so me at, at work, less in marriage and more at work for me as, as I just expect people that, that they'll know what I want. They'll know what I'm pleased with or know what I'm displeased with just by the expression on my face or, or the eye roll that I give. And, and again, that's just an act of cowardice because I, I don't often have the courage to say exactly this is what I want and this is what I don't want. So are you, do you substitute mind reading for plain speaking? And then the third question I want you to ask yourself, do you thrive on victimhood? The reason that so many people delight in being offended is because they cannot imagine life unoffended. They come to define themselves, identify themselves by their wounds, by what other people have done to them. This is a number of years ago, and a, a, a couple brought into me, came to meet with me, and they brought a, a male bomb that their adult daughter had sent them. I mean, just vicious stuff in the letter that the daughter had sent to them. And, and, and we were in my office, and they were reading the letter, and they'd read it, and they, can you believe that? That's so hurtful. And then they'd read it again. Woo! that really hurts. And let me look at that again. I need to look at that one more time. That is just so painful. And you know what they were doing is that they were just sort of nursing a very unhealthy pain by going back and looking at it again. And it was like their treasure. And so in a moment of of rare pastoral boldness, I I said, can I see that? And I, I took the letter from them and kept it and threw it away. Because they didn't need to nurse that pain anymore. They didn't need to thrive on their own victimhood. So do you take things personally that are not personal? Do you expect to substitute mind reading for plain speaking? Maybe more than anything else. Do you thrive on victimhood? And after asking yourself those three very relevant questions... You, you do well to, to ask me another one. Well, where's the hope? You, you've convinced me of the ways that I am the difficulty in the relationship. I am actually easily offended and I am rarely ashamed. Where's the hope? And the, the good thing is that, that Paul does not leave us without hope. Look where he goes after, after showing what love is in, in verse Four and what it's not in verse five, he wraps it up in verse six and he says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I love that. Love rejoices with what's true. Love notices what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. Listen, if you have that ability and you kind of pride yourself on that ability, I, I'm, I'm really good at pointing out what's wrong with people and situations and events. That is no great skill. Anybody can do that. The people with the skill, the people who are living into the goodness of God are those who train, who train their minds and train their eyes to look for what is good, to look for what is noble, to look for what is right and celebrate that. Love rejoices with the truth. It's why I love, love those words that Pastor Chuck Swindoll, a pastor whom I love, like one of my pastor heroes, is what he said about attitudes. Listen to this. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. 
It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than success, than what other people think or say or do. Attitude is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how we react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And you're like, I want that. How do I get there? How, how do I move from cynical, easily offended, verse five, to rejoicing with the truth, verse six? How do I do that? And the good news is you can't, but he can. That you cannot do this on your own, but the only way to a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. And only as you surrender and allow the resurrected king to resurrect you, that's the only way that you will have the ability to stop being the difficulty, to stop being so easily offended and rarely ashamed. And I want you to know that it is his grave-busting, pattern-breaking, victimhood-ending power that is available to you and you and you today and every day. And when you access that power, when you look in the mirror, there will be one less difficult person on planet Earth. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you that we can stand in your love, not as victims, but as victors. Not as angry, but as grateful. Not as cowards but is having courage. You do that in this place and through this people. In the strong, saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.